Hello and welcome to this episode of Shoulder to Shoulder, where we strive to grow in love of the Lord and each other. I'm Megan Silas. And I am Pam Marvin. I'm so overjoyed to be here in the studio with you today. So, you know, this is around the back to school time and all that was going on. So uh, I know you still have kids in school. So how's yeah. that going for you, Meg? Yeah, we're back in. It's been it's been a little bit now, maybe about a month or so uh, since when by the time this airs. And, um, you know, my daughter's back at uh, college, which is going really well. She's had total smooth transition. She's out of the dorm now and living in a house with her roommate from last year. And those two are like two peas in a pod. They get along great. I got my first, mom, how do you make this text? Which (laughs) is kind of really heartwarming for me. I knew they were going to start coming as soon as she had to start uh, making um, food for herself Mm -hmm. for dinners. And so uh, her first uh, text mom what do I do was to make Italian sausage and peppers in the oven and she was asking me uh, what temperature and how long so okay. it was kind of fun to get that um, so, so you just buy your Italian sausage and do it that way yeah okay. uh, just buy Italian sausage okay in case you're wondering a little recipe for the day get some Italian sausage I prefer the the hot Italian but if you don't like things spicy you know you can go for the sweet but uh, you take the the links and you put them on a sheet pan with cut up some onion and green pepper and cover them in olive oil and put some cloves of garlic in there. You know, mix it all around, a little salt and pepper, roast it in the oven at 350 for, you know, a little bit, about a half an hour. Turn it halfway through. Totally yummy. Wow. Eat, it with some, eat it with some crusty bread and a salad. It's great. Perfect. I know. Perfect. You do, so, we should do this more because you, you do have such great ideas. I'm not, I'm not the foodie. Yeah. Oh, and a little, little, uh, homemaker tip, put aluminum foil on the pan and then the cleanup's a lot easier. So no. I use a Silpat. I love my Silpat. Oh yeah. Okay. I'm, I have to admit I'm a, a lover foil. of the aluminum. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes when I go to get my hair done with it, you know, cause I get highlights and they use the foils. I'm, mm-hmm. I think to myself, are we using all the aluminum? Is there going to come a day where I can no longer line my pans with aluminum because of all us vain women using it all up at the hairdresser? But anyway. the things Megan thinks of. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think some random stuff sometimes. Yeah, it's pretty random. Yeah. But then my son, junior in high school, oh. turned 16 um, in June, still doesn't have his license. And why? <laughs> because he'd rather be chauffeured. Yes. And this is the reality. The reason he hasn't been forced to drive to school more is because his lack of a being a morning person and my lack of a more being a morning person meet in the morning. And he's like, mom, I'm too lazy to drive. And I'm like, son, I'm too lazy to make you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it hasn't really been happening, but, Fortunately, my husband, um, you know, he's in between jobs right now. So I've got this backup so that we can share it. And so, but at some point I'm going to have to really take the bull by the horns and Mm. tell my son, you got to do the driving. I mean, you've got to start training yourself to get this license so that I can feel safe that when you're behind the wheel, that you've had enough experience. Um, And it's just time. Uh, two of my children were late 17 year olds before they got their license because why should I get my license? My friends drive me everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) So it wasn't until I started refusing to, to drive them everywhere. 
Well, what I think I need to start doing is making um, real on the threat that I wasn't going to pick him up in a timely fashion at the end of the day, that I was going to make him stay at school until like 530 and he would just have to hang out. Because I think if, if he wasn't getting convenient chauffeur service that was just like whenever he wants, I think it would get the the motivational juices flowing yeah, yeah. a little so, bit. So, hey, son, I have this event that I'm going to, and I'm going to be done until 530, so you'll have to hang out or find another way home. Yeah, the problem is, is that my husband's home, and so I, I would have to get him on the same page of like, don't pick him up. <laughs> Even when he texts us, don't pick him up. Just say, nope. But we'll see how that's it goes. That's an interesting one. But I will also admit that there's that little mama bear heart in me that's like, Oh, but this time is fleeting and, you know, there'll come a day when there won't be these little, you know, rides in the car to and from school where mm-hmm. I can really just be alone with my son and have little chats and, yes. and things. So I get that because at first when my son was told by his father, you will not get your license until you have your Eagle Scout because he was very eager to get his license. But dad Mm -hmm. told him no, but guess who had to do all the driving for him? It was me. And so at (laughs) first I was like, how did I get to sign this job? That wasn't my punishment. right? Um, But I I looked at it the way you are. It's like um, very valuable time to spend with my teenage Mm -hmm. son, which wouldn't have had otherwise. Yeah. But I will say that, and this kind of segues into our topic for today, which is sort of understanding your the culture that you grew up in and how it biases you in certain ways. Um, in talking to people, it seems to be there is a little bit of a trend that young people are less motivated to get their licenses than they used to be. It's, it's not just my son. Like no. there's a lot like of I said, kids. Mine. Even yeah. my 30 my year old was that way. Right. And so that may be part of it too. If, if he doesn't have like buddies or being like, dude, why haven't you gotten your license yet? What's your problem? I bet if that happened, even one time, he'd be like, mom, I need to drive. Mom, I need to drive. Right. But because there's sort of this cultural milieu within the student body, it's like, yeah, milk that cow for as long as you can. (laughs) You know, uh, maybe there's not as much of a motivation. So it does impact us how the culture around us um, sees things and approaches things. And so that's something we wanted to talk about because... It goes deeper than the broader culture. I mean, we talk a lot about the culture wars, right? Where this is at a broad level of the nation or the world or whatever. But culture, then it can go, you know, much more intimate where so you start like the broader secular culture of your the world or the nation. But then, OK, we can all agree that the culture of Texas is different than the culture of California, Mm-hmm. And the culture of Houston is different than the culture of College Station or the different than the culture of Woodville, where my country property is. And then the culture of my family is going to be different than the culture of your family. Yes. And all these things like play a role. And it was kind of funny that we had this experience as we were coming in today um, that sort of elucidated this point yeah, so, so tell, tell, tell the really listeners well. what happened so um I, i'm sitting there visiting with evan um our marketing expert i had to get it right there marketing expert for kedc or excuse me just the catholic radio that we station kedc red sea roundup.org red sea radio.org <laughs> red sea radio.org you said roundup 
Oh, sorry. That's yes, okay. I thank you for correcting me. Anyway, so he was in there and we were chit-chatting before and Megan walked up and I was so delighted to see her that I'm hugging on her and she's trying to let go of that hug. And I'm like, okay, no, 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 I want to point out I did hug her. It wasn't like I like, you know, gave her, you know, the Heisman or anything. No, for sure. And so I said, no, I just want to linger a little more because I, I said, so we started talking about being demonstrative in public. And, mm. and so it was very interesting because Megan and Evan were both like, yeah, we just don't do that. Like people in church, when they put their arms around each other, or hold hands, ooh. And I'm thinking, what? That's crazy. And then it dawned on me, oh, this is a regional thing. You guys mm-hmm. are from both New York State, where I am born and raised in Texas. Mm-hmm. It's very regional too. I, I I don't know why, but it, it is like that demonstrative lovey. But then you have the, the Italian side Right. Too. So I was making the point that while I'm not huge on significant displays of affection in public amongst family, like I, you know, my background on my mom's side is Italian and Italians tend to be very demonstrative. And I happen to be very lovey, huggy, uh, you know, affectionate with friends and family, really intimately cozy. Um, And so it's not universal that, you know, simply my northern upbringing keeps me from all affection. It's just sort of in different um, environments and things like that. So while I'll tend not to be affectionate in bigger public settings within a home setting, I'm Mm -hmm. really affectionate, like probably more so than most people. Um, So and I definitely acknowledge that uh, with my close girlfriends, I'm much more affectionate than a lot of people. In fact, this is funny. Oh my gosh, this is funny. I was just having a conversation with James, my husband last night about hugging. It's so funny that we were just talking. This just happened today with the uh, hugging with you because I literally, and I'm embarrassed to admit it in a way said, Oh yeah, my friends, there's a huge range among my friends about how comfortable they are with hugging. And I sort of started like, oh, you know, she's a big hugger, really, you know, really intimate hugger. This one really is not big on the hugging. And this one's sort of a middle of the road hugger. (laughs) (laughs) So, so it is interesting. Um, And there's so much about our upbringings and and our, but also our personalities that, that impact, you know, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to give a, a shameless plug for my work Facebook page, which is Faith, family, and fertility. I am a fertility care practitioner by day. (laughs) And I did post an article about the um, physical effects on hugging. Mm -hmm. And it was a long study done saying that 12 hugs a day for optimum human health. So we need a dozen hugs. At least a dozen. You know, six is like the bare minimum for the day. So Mm -hmm. I like the counterbalance of that study, which sounds great. I would you know, I'm all down for getting 12 or more hugs a day. But then the, the government is trying to say that as far as alcohol beverages go, that instead of like one or two a day, it should be one or two a week. And I'm just saying that I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not down with that. I'm not a big drinker at all, yeah. but I do think one drink a day is, is not going to do any damage. Mm, yeah, <laughs> I speak that as a as a person trained as a, phys- as a physician, I won't claim it as a, my medical advice, but yeah. I did see a guy on the, the show on a news show, um, a physician that was talking about it. And he's like, what this study doesn't 
take into account is the relaxation effects that alcohol can have and that a person's anxiety may have more negative impacts on them than the alcohol would ever have. So that was interesting. All right. So let's try to dig into this question of how we want to address cultural indoctrination yeah, or yeah, bias. Yeah. And, and or, I think, I think we want to talk about it uh, more on the micro level and we could talk in, in the regional, like we, we kind of said this area, like Southerners are usually much more demonstrative, friendlier, or so mm-hmm. to speak. But I think the biggest influence really is family of origin. Wouldn't you okay. agree? Yeah. I, it makes a huge difference for sure. And there's because it happens so young and before you're really very conscious of what's going on and it's really all you ever knew for for a period of time mm-hmm. i think it is the one that's hardest to parse out to really understand huh you mean that's not how every family functions. Right, right. You, know? you come to know that once you're getting older, you go to friends' houses and you see things are so different. Mm-hmm. And that's just even in the same town. So I think it's really interesting, like even um, when we are talking about getting the cat on an earlier um, episode and you were saying how it's your mom was a kind of a neat freak, uh-huh. right? That's yeah. definitely shaped exactly how you yeah. you do things as well. Yeah, it is interesting that while we can recognize that about our family of origin, I think we can't, we have a hard time really understanding the depth to which those things form, not just the way we behave, but the way we think. Oh, absolutely. You know, and and I have to, I actually went through a process of trying to overcome some of what that reality of the culture that I grew up in um, did in the way that I approached things. Because one of the things I will say is that, um, you know, with my mom being very ordered towards order in the home, shall we say, and my dad actually in his own right was just as bad. So what my mom was in the house, my dad was, was in his garage or the yard or whatever, or the cars. Oh my goodness. Uh, when I was a kid, if you put your hand on the inside window of the car, <laughs> it was like, what are you doing? You know, I detailed that thing. And mm. so what, unfortunately, when you get raised in an atmosphere where there's a very, very strong attention to detail and sometimes a very strong attention to the material details surrounding you, um, it's usually recognition that something's awry that causes someone to take care of it. Right. And so what I find ends up happening and and what I realized that in that environment, there was a fair bit of a critical spirit. Right. Because you're like, Oh, that needs to be cleaned up or look at how they're doing that. That's not right. Yeah. Fault finding because there's such this idea of wanting to create this perfect you know, environment, environment, yeah. right. And so in a way it's a controlling thing, right. Cause you, you want to control the environment, and, but you often, because you live in an environment that's so controlled and so ordered towards having everything just so things stick out to you more than would other people who didn't grow up in that environment. And so I recognized, I started hearing myself, hearing myself be critical a lot. 
you know, oh, look at that. Or, oh, that's a, about like what that. age, like where in your life was this? Honestly, I didn't really realize it until I was in probably in medical school, maybe. Really? So after college. So adult. Yeah, adult. But I don't think I really took significant steps to rectify it until I was probably a mom. Okay. And, I, and then I started realizing, ooh, that's getting turned on my kids. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that was your kind of your one big thing from your cultural, the way that your family was, the way that you were raised mm-hmm. um, with that habit. Mine was different. Mine was feelings are king. Feelings are king. Mm-hmm. Your, your feelings are who you are. Mm. Ooh, that and, can take you dangerous places. Oh my gosh. I mean, I was never told who you are, but that were you were, we were never supposed to ever suppress mm-hmm. any emotion whatsoever. And I was a highly emotional person too. So I was, I would feel a whole lot. Do you know what actually um, made me kind of, um, what's the word? A little fearful in a way, because I was so sensitive that mm-hmm. things hurt me so bad. So I ended up becoming this very, very fearful child hmm. because I don't know if it was just because I had these intense feelings and I was never ever taught that, you know, well, your feelings are a data point, not a directive, you know, that kind right. of thing. Yeah. Know? I could see how the fear could come up because if feelings are everything and you're having really strong feelings, it could really lend itself to feel to a sense of I'm not in control of anything in my life. I am just completely at the mercy of my emotions. And that if you weren't giving any sense of you've got an ability to rein in your emotions and that they don't control you. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that leaves you very vulnerable in the world. I'm just like, this is kind of the image that comes to my mind is sort of like an exposed wire. Like Mm. you can just spark off at any moment, you know, it's dangerous. I lived in a lot of fears. Yeah, for sure. So, and I didn't start talking about when I started really under, I didn't even start overcoming that until probably, um, I started getting much deeper into my faith. I'd been Catholic for, oh gosh, even 20 years at that point, probably mm -hmm. maybe no, cause it's only been 30 years. So it's been in the last about 15 years ago. Yeah. And that brings a big point up because, you know, we talked about some kind of general things that were characteristic of our upbringing, but we have a difference in that I grew up in a Christian home and you did not grow up in a Christian home. And so that's something that I find is interesting because I don't know that I recognized um, for a long period of time what it means to have been raised with Christian ethics as just taken for granted, you know, like there wasn't some sense of we need to challenge these things. We need to question these things. We're just, you know, Christianity is the thing. And so this idea of morality that's based on Christian ethics is something that even when I was away from faith, because I went through a period of agnosticism, I did not abandon this idea of what is good and what is appropriate behavior and what is not consistent with 
allowable action because of my Christian upbringing. And so what I would say that one of the negative aspects of that, I think it is good to be raised in a Christian household. Absolutely. We are called to create a culture that embraces Christ. But one of the things that I would say as a person who has always had Christian ethos as part of my cultural existence is that it can make it hard to understand when a person does not have that foundation mm-hmm. that they could think completely differently yes. about the world around them. Yeah. And so can you speak to maybe a little bit about how your lack of having that maybe impacted you a little bit? Well, yes. And I guess you could say, so we had a very strong sense of right and wrong though. So it was a whole like, you know, well, I'm an agnostic, but you know, I believe in doing the right thing. But in that setting, what was the thing that defined what was right? Yeah, there wasn't any. So there, there comes in, you know, as if we're talking about this subject too, and talking about the fear, I've given this talk before, I've said it on the podcast before too, that when I, when we talk about God giving us the Ten Commandments, it wasn't because He was this overpowering God that really just was up there wagging His finger. You shall not da 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 da. It was more, hey, let me give you the gate, the fence around the parameters of a healthy mm-hmm. lifestyle right. that will make you happy and whole. Okay, those rules make us happy and whole and give us security. Right. Right. So I did not grow up with that kind of security because. There were things that were just up for discussion, up for discussion, like sexuality, right? Things like that. It was like you just make up your own. You do what you think is right. The the relativism was a very, very big part, I think, of my home life at that point. I'm really glad that you made that point that everything's up for discussion because I think that is a real big change that we've seen in in the broader culture where there's been more and more people who haven't been raised on this bedrock of this is right and wrong because Jesus Christ, the gospel is the rock, the, the, the Bible, <laughs> all this sort of stuff. So when you have more and more people who don't have that, more and more things become up for discussion. Yes. And, and then, but the people who still had it are like, wait, we hold these truths to be self-evident. How come they're not self-evident to you? And we can't, we literally cannot understand what is wrong with you that you can't see this. And so I'm really appreciating you bringing up this concept of when you don't get raised on this is why right and wrong, everything becomes this process of discussion, an evolving of understanding and, and all this sort of thing. And so it's appropriate that mores should change because they're part of a broader cultural discussion, not part of a bedrock ethos. Mm-hmm. That is so accurate. I, I can see um, that just in, as um, like two podcasts ago, we were even discussing um, similarly just how in the Strickland, in the Strickland letter, how things are getting so watered down, like the, mm-hmm. the, the cornerstones of some of the teachings of the faith are being really, uh, water down or up for discussion, you know, yeah, <laughs> exactly. What we're talking exactly. About. And, and that's a really important point to make is when the whole culture starts going down this path of, well, everything's up for discussion. Then even those places that used to be bedrocks now might start thinking, 
well, is everything up for discussion? And what is this synod and synodality except this whole big process of let's discuss? Yes. <laughs> you so know? true. Look how the Lord just wound yeah. these podcasts together. That's so cool. Well, and I have to say that um, actually on my way here, I happened to be listening to um, a little interview with um, John Henry Weston mm-hmm. at LifeSite News, the right. whole thing with Bishop Strickland. Okay. And one of the things that he said that really captivated me was, on things that are settled, why do we need a discussion? He's like, why are we discussing things that are settled? Yes. And that idea that there are things that are simply settled, that don't that. require discussion, is maybe something that needs to be talked about a little well, more. Well, then it goes back behind and say, well, who settled it? You know, yeah. I mean, that's in the question now. Yeah. Now, while in the broader culture that doesn't necessarily um, call itself Catholic then I can understand that that could be a question. Mm-hmm. But within the church, with those who claim to be within the church, we should be able to say the Lord Jesus Christ through his teaching magisterium has settled it. Yes. And that we should be willing to be obedient to that. I think many of us are, but then of course you have them. Well, you don't. you even have a whole lot of Catholics these days. That oh, are, yeah. Well, no, I still think that's up for discussion. I don't really believe what the church teaches on contraceptives or gay marriage, but I still go to church and mm-hmm. the like. That, uh, what do they call them? Lukewarm? Or cafeteria. Cafeteria, that's yeah. another one. Yeah. Oh. Well, and I We're think, praying for you. We're praying for you. We need you in the church in all the fullness that it is. Yeah, but we also need your obedience to the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, we got kind of on that. That's a little bit of a tangent from from the culture t- question. Um, but I do also think that we need to be aware um, that this idea of culture is being used to divide. And when we play into that, when we allow that, um, we're playing into the hands of the enemy. True. And and so being aware that you do come from a culture, acknowledging, you know, I'm just going to acknowledge, you know, okay, let me see. What are the, the things that define me? I grew up in Northern New York, so I didn't grow up in the South. I didn't grow up in the far West. I didn't grow up um, in the city. So I grew up in, in a rural town. Um, so my experience of life is not urban. It's not even suburban. It, it was a rural small town. I am Caucasian. That is just the reality of my existence. I have white parents and therefore became a white girl. Baby. You know, <laughs> I, I didn't have any choice in the matter. It, you know, it just is. And I was made a girl. So my, I experienced life as a woman, uh, as a female, as a girl, and then as a woman. And that imparts on it certain biases sure. and certain understanding of things. Um, like I said, I grew up Christian. Um, I am now Catholic Christian. I grew up Protestant though. So I kind of got to get experience of both cultures there, which is kind of fun because I can actually like cross the line really easily. And and sometimes it's fun to see how Catholics have a really hard time sometimes understanding a Protestant way of thinking or being where I'm like, no, I totally get that. And then I'm over here and the Protestants are like, I don't get those Catholics. I'm like, well, no, I get that. (laughs) But, (laughs) but uh, so it's neat to be able to cross those lines. Um, 
but you know, I'm a mom, I'm married. Like, so all those things are part of my experience and how I see the world. And so I can acknowledge those things and understand that there's aspects of life that I just can't understand though, because I didn't experience it. I do not know what it is like to grow up a boy and then become a man. I do not know what it's like to be a different race than I am. I do not know what it is like to never have been exposed to Christianity. I don't know what it's like to be a single person in the world right now and to not have children. Those struggles, those joys, they're not mine. And so it's important, I think, to have the humility to realize that the culture and experiences that we have really, truly do impact the way we think, the way we see the world, the way we act, and to have some mercy on other people to understand that Always. They, their experiences are different. Mm-hmm. But dialogue, right. is, I think dialogue is the answer to, so to this. True. And so that your cultural biases, instead of um, being a detriment, can just enrich relationship, you know? That's so true. All right. I have a desire to do a temperature check. And then what I want to do for the temperature check is to ask you, what is an experience that you can say of being in relationship with a person who had a very different cultural upbringing and how it's blessed you? Okay. So do you have anything in mind or you want me to go first? You go first. You brought it up. All right. So one of... My very, very, very best friends. Um, She grew up and has lived her entire life within 20 miles in the city of Houston. Wow. So she she has always lived in Houston um, and has never moved out of it, never went to... College in Houston. Mm -hmm. Her husband grew up his entire life in Houston. Her siblings are all still in Houston. Her children are all still in Houston. And so her experience of growing up as a Catholic white woman, only ever having experienced Houston is so different than me, (laughs) right? Like I'm bebopping all over the place. You know, you know, I was lived in numerous different States, um, my siblings are all around. My husband's siblings are all around. So her experience is in the culture that has grown up there is so different from mine. Mm -hmm. And we've sometimes like really had to work at understanding these different ways that we approach things and, and with charity, because so for example, you know, she's also a bit older than me. So she uh, experienced life um, in a different time period. And so she's much more, I would say, um, sort of like traditionally what we you consider very feminine, very ordered towards manners and proper behaviors that are, that are cultured and, and seem are, you know, sort of uh, just, being a proper. lady, very proper. Like what you think of when you're like, being a proper lady. Okay. You know, okay. So I grew up in rural upstate New York, not urbane at all, not of, of any means, you know, so I grew up 
I rode a dirt bike. Like <laughs> I got my first motorcycle when I was eight. I raised BMX bikes. Wow. I fought my mother to wear a dress at any moment that I had to wear a dress. Right. I was a full on tomboy. Yeah. And I have to be perfectly honest. Sometimes I find a swear word is the best word for what I want to express, <laughs> you know? Right. And so, and that was allowable in the culture that I grew up in. You know, that okay, was not okay. considered to be like, oh my gosh, you are, you know, like, and so me try this. So there's often this process of, I feel like sometimes of her trying to like encourage me to be, you know, wear a dress and, and like maybe <sighs> use a little less harsh language or whatever. And I'm always like, loosen up, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but the beauty of it is, is that it, it's led to a lot of conversations mm. that have helped us both understand more about who we are, where we came from, the biases and the preconceived notions that we hold. And also, I will be honest, like, I have found that in relationship with her, I'm more thoughtful about my speech and I, you know, really do honor that there, there's, there's a graciousness mm. and a beauty in really expressing things that are traditionally feminine that draws people in a, in a really lovely way. Uh, so I have, through seeing her, I think I have softened myself a little bit in, in a good way. And, and I've seen some parts of her that, that, you know, she's, you know, experienced the impact on me. And I'm just going to laugh because... You know, she was getting really worked up about something at one point and actually uh, used the S word. And when I heard her use it, I literally cheered. Oh, <laughs> my like, goodness. You, you, go! <laughs> you can do it. You did it. I can't believe it. That's awesome. That's and she crazy. just rolled her eyes at me. That's too funny. But so, yeah, so it's been really beautiful. But yeah, there have yeah, been yeah. a few times yeah. where like we had to work through it because there were some misunderstandings that we had about perceived judgments because of differences in upbringing. That is so fascinating. So when you asked me that originally as a temperature check is how does someone's cultural difference benefited you? That's kind of how the question was posed. Mm -hmm, yeah. Okay. Mine went to a different, literally different cultures. Okay, great. So what the listeners may not know is that my husband was raised um, in Mexico for a large portion of his life. And I, I will say to this day, he was, he's culturally Hispanic. He has mm -hmm. some of their, um, love of the food. He's very jovial, um, big hugger, mm -hmm. you know, very demonstrative as well. Um, and I always was very attracted to that too, that different culture. Um, he's bilingual, which I found terribly attractive. I thought that was so awesome. Um, he's bicultural, which I thought was also very attractive. And so over time, my daughter then has married a, a young man. Her husband is Colombian. So mm. going to Colombia for their wedding and being introduced to all their different type. I mean, while still Latin, completely different. Mm -hmm. The food is different. They don't like spicy foods. Where in Mexico, they really like spicy foods. So I found that it's really given a rich color of the different cultures, which actually just makes me more in love with God because of the diversity that he's put in our lives. And I find it all 
wonderful. And, and I, I would really be remiss if I didn't mention one of my favorite priests that's touched my life over the years is Father Uche Umbikulu. Mm, out no. in, gosh, he's out at Our Lady, I can't remember, Lakeway. No, he's way out. Bormeo, Bormeo. He's out there. Well, he was assigned here as associate pastor for a few years. And I really got to know him. And at the same time, I had a friend that was from Nigeria, actually from the same tribe that he was from, and learned so much from them about the Catholic faith and the strength. Like one of my favorite stories that he told during that time. And, and again, he, he and his life, his upbringing and hers rose at the time. God rest your soul. Um, the way they lived and were brought up is like when they when the kids went and played in the in the uh, in the neighborhood. Oh well, the rosary is at so and so's house, and they'd call the kids in, mm. and all the kids in the neighborhood would come in and say their rosary together. It's so just, cute! Just, I love it. Just amazing things, and very 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 black and white about mm-hmm. the faith. And I remember Rose telling me how you had to pass a hard test on the catechism to be confirmed. I like I it. I mean, I know. So I learned that so much from this Nigerian culture that I thought that is so awesome. I, I wish we could be more like that. Yeah, I swear. If I believed in past lives, I think I would have been a Nigerian Catholic in the past. <laughs> I, just, I just love them. So much. Yeah, the, I, the and strength. I haven't even had much of a personal relationship with them, but just any experience that I've had, is, I really appreciate. No, I've had yeah. two what I would call dear friends that um, mm-hmm. I adore to this day. Father, I'll have to tell them about the podcast <laughs> yeah. if you listen. Yeah, I, you know, I think really the moral of this whole story and, and a purpose and, and kind of having the conversation is is really twofold. We have to acknowledge our own upbringing and biases. And and I think it's important sometimes to just really take stock of what you were raised with as far as experiences and beliefs and thank God for the good. And, you know, acknowledge the stuff that maybe wasn't so good and, and ask yourself, okay, is that, are those experiences being brought forward into my life now? And, and how can I maybe seek to overcome Mm -hmm. biases or maybe sometimes we actually really need healing because sometimes our culture in that we grew up in, uh, whether it was in our own families or or in more of an extended situation was toxic was, you know, was wounding and we need to get over that because we don't want to continue to live and walk in those ways. Perhaps there was alcoholism, domestic abuse, things like that. Oh goodness. Yeah. Divorce. Right. And that impacts the the culture of the, you know, the home and the the family as well. So, you know, we do our own self-examination about what's the good, and what, what are the struggles that I have based on the ways and the, and the experiences that I've had, but then also look at how can I be understanding towards others yeah. and, and, and seek to learn understanding. You can only think that you need to learn if you understand that you don't know everything. For sure. Well, you want to add to that, that we must always go to the divine healer and those things. Cause I think that, you know, as we are born and grow up and I, I see this in young people, um, that we have that original sin that's there and we're working kind of from that place, even though we've been exposed to morality. I'm speaking of myself and my personal experience too. At what point that you start to kind of like your eyes start to open and think, you know what, my way is not really working too well. And the divine healer is the one that's there to show you the way, the truth and the life. But mm-hmm. it, sometimes you have to go through a lot of suffering to get to that point 
But but the point of the podcast, though, too, is knowing that some of those things need healing and that that Jesus, the Christ, is there to pour love and heal those things in you. And if you follow his lead, you will certainly find true joy. Yeah, absolutely. We, and, and there's always going to be more and more layers that we can come mm-hmm. and, you know, healing is, is awesome. But what one of the things I'd also like to say is something that I hope would be healing in relationships and in culture as it relates to, you know, these things is that I just leave it with this. Different doesn't mean bad. It just means different. And if we can just really embrace that, and say, you know what, just because you approach things differently or you, you know, have a different point of view or a, a different uh, way of being, it doesn't mean I'm right and you're wrong or you're bad and I'm good. It just means we're different mm-hmm. and we can learn from each other and we can enrich each other. So right. and, and that's such a more joyful, beautiful place to be than trying to make dividing lines and separating us because God's a God that unites, not a God that divides. Amen. So let us be united in, in the beautiful cultural heritages we have on so many different levels. Let us find ways that we um, share things that are the same and delight in the ways that we are different. Amen. But always, always holding fast to truth. <laughs> Jesus Christ. (laughs) And the truth of the matter is we're going to wrap it up for this episode and we're so glad that you joined us. So please do like and share and, um, you know, just really, uh, if you're blessed by it and, or you would like to, you know, initiate a conversation with somebody else. Yeah. Also, we do have a Facebook page, Shoulder mm-hmm. to Shoulder. If you have any topic ideas that you would really oh, gosh, like to express, love we'd love to have yeah. you come up with a topic idea and uh, to get into it on yeah, the air. Come on, let us off the hook, y'all. We need some help. No, <laughs> I mean, I'd be delighted. I think that'd be so fun. So put your thinking cap on and see what subjects you'd like us to tackle. All right. Well, until next time, remain united with us in prayer. God bless. God bless.